Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Evening, hello, hello, and welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian football podcast bringing you into Italy inside the Serie A stadiums every single week. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and joining me this week is just one man, but it's Vito Doria, so everything will be okay. Vito, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Connor. Yeah, just uh, us two again, probably the first time in a while, but yeah, we'll continue on as per usual. and discuss uh, all the highlights from the latest Serie A action. Yeah, we've done it before alone, and I'm sure we will do it again at some point in the future, Vito. But Kev is enjoying himself in, I think he's in Hamburg at the moment, so he couldn't be with us. He is. It looks like he's having a lovely time based on his Instagram pictures. So go over to Instagram, whatever his handle is, follow him and keep up with him. Rabbit, rabbit on. Oh, he's that on Instagram too, is he? Perfect. Yeah. He's on brand like the rest of us. That's fantastic. Um, Vito, th- this was a pretty good week of Saria action. It didn't always look like it was going to be, but I want to start with one of the more boring games just to get it out of the way. We'll go to Bologna where Juventus won 1-0 quite easily on the surface of it. But in truth, Bologna had their chances and Juventus actually made quite hard work of this. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh... Yeah, Sansone had a shot that hit, went wide early in the game. And uh, also Adera, the youngster that's on loan from Torino. And then your favourite player, Santander, he had a couple chances himself. But uh, no, uh, Bologna did have the opportunities. But as we keep saying, when it's against the Juventus, you've got to take your chances. And unfortunately, that poor Holanda clearance was very costly. And Dybala, who came on as a sub, um, scored the winner. Yeah, Federico Santander, as you alluded to, is not one to be trusted if he only has a handful of chances to take in a game, especially against a big team like Juventus. If you lump the ball in towards his head, he can do a bit of damage. But 
anything other than that is not the most useful. I'm glad you mentioned, um, I can't remember what you mentioned there, actually. Uh, Simone there or Nicola Sansone? Sansone, because when he went there, it looked like he was going to be a good signing that could be potentially wasted under people on Zaghi. But now they've got rid of Inzaghi, Mihailovic is there. And do you think he could be the guy to get the best out of Sansone and in turn to get the best out of Bologna? I do think so because he has ditched the 3-5-2 that uh, Inzaghi was using and he's gone to 4-2-3-1. He's also using the attacking options a lot more and it also helps that he has Edera and Sansone on the wings and then Orsolini came off the bench too, so... Um, if they just believe in themselves and stick to this uh, more attack-minded philosophy, I think they can uh, fight for survival and they might be able to yeah, achieve survival if they can just uh, score a few goals, even if it's not Santander because of the reasons we've stated plenty of times. They do have the wingers and even Roberto Soriano can chip in with a few goals from midfield. He has that ability. I do want to move swiftly on to Juve, Vito. Um, the talk about them this week, I think, is going to be a bit more general rather than just focusing on their 1-0 win at Bologna. Um, but first, this is just business as usual for them. Dybala getting a goal is, well, I guess it's nice. But looking at the bigger picture, I wrote about Juventus after their 2-0 defeat in the first leg of the Champions League last 16 against Atletico Madrid. And... I said that if Juventus are to get knocked out of the Champions League at this stage, then their season is a failure. Was I too harsh there? Judging from some of the comments I saw on Twitter, I'm sure the Juventini thought you were harsh. But I think we've got to be very honest and harsh about this situation. I think even if failure is a strong word, it would certainly be a disappointment the domestic dominance is well and truly sealed at this stage. And for them, there's not much to be really happy about if they win just another Scudetto. They need to have this belief that they can really change for the Champions League. Uh, no excuses that Barcelona and Real Madrid are strong teams or that you've got Manchester City and Bayern Munich competing as well. Uh, focus on yourselves. And with the talent that's already there, they do have a strong enough team, but I really believe Massimiliano Allegri has underutilized them. And I really can't see them ever winning a Champions League with him, even if they somehow pull off a miracle comeback in two or three weeks' time. Uh, his approach is just far too cautious, especially in this day and age. It's a, it's a really difficult one because I felt that Allegri did a really, really good job with this team to get them to the finals in the last few years. And they always seem to, while they bore me to death to watch every weekend in Serie A, when there's a Champions League game, their games are the first I look out for because they just know how to, how to do it. If it's against a big team, you can put all your money on Juventus getting a result. I think it was about this time last year when we were talking about the Champions League and we said the one team Juve will want to avoid will be Atletico Madrid and I think the same is probably true of Atleti but it was the approach wasn't it that let them down Allegri made mistakes but I do think there's a lot of um, over the top reaction to him too you see people calling for his head already and this Mm -hmm. is based on the first leg just last year 
Juve nearly overturned a 3-0 deficit against Real Madrid, only to be undone by a, what was it, a 97th minute Cristiano Ronaldo penalty, which stopped them. So I still think they have every chance of going through. And if they do, well, then all the better. But I, I stand by, I don't know, I just... Like you said, they they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. They didn't bring him in to win another Spiretto. They they didn't sign João Cancelo. They didn't bring Leonardo Bonucci back to win Serie A again because they don't need those players to do it. They could play their B team and still win Serie A. But these players have been brought in to win the Champions League, and if they don't do it, I can't see how you can consider it anything other than a failure. It's a strong word, but I think it's apt. Very much so. Um, and yeah, just uh, whether it be with uh, Allegri or someone else, um, it's uh, look yeah, again just domestic dominance. It's pretty much there, but Europe's got to be the big game, and uh, it shouldn't just be amongst us or people chatting on social media. Uh, the Juventus board they got to look at themselves, the coaching staff, the players, the Agnelli family. They are well and truly the most successful team in Serie A history. The Milanese teams are a long way off, at least in the all-time scales, but uh, they got to focus on improving that record in Europe. I mean, just two European Cups slash Champions Leagues and seven defeats in the finals. Um, okay, you've got to be good enough to get there in the first place, but to self-destruct in those finals or to underperform, I'm sure that's a record they want to get rid of whether they want to reveal it openly in public or not yeah for sure 100% um, Sebastian says Juve already lost the Coppa Italia um, which is actually a good point but I did mention it in the, in the article that Atalanta kind of schooled them in Bergamo but this season is already worse than last right because they can't win the domestic double so there's extra pressure on them to do something in, in Europe yeah, oh, pretty much, really. Um, Allegri had achieved four domestic doubles in a row with this Bianconeri squad, so now he can't do the domestic double anymore. And now with this 2-0 deficit that they got to overcome, and to be honest, it probably should have been 3-0 um, because I reckon Morata's goal should have stood. Um, yeah, it just makes things a lot worse, and... Uh, can uh, the Juventus board really be content with just one Scudetto when really they should have won the Coppa Italia or should have been in a position to do so and they have a squad capable of winning the Champions League? Um, and this looks like another season set for underachievement, really, um, yeah. because it's Juventus. they got to have higher goals, higher standards, and plus the reputation as well. We're not talking about the other Serie A clubs. It's... It's your bet. Vito, what, who do you think they could bring in? If if Allegri was to leave this summer, who's the obvious choice? Is, is there one? Is it Zidane or what happens? Well, Zidane has been the one linked uh, in recent times or at least in the last year or so since leaving Real Madrid. And he does have the record. You might say that he was fortunate to have all those players at Real Madrid, but uh, he has won the last three Champions Leagues and he did uh, get the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo at that time. So maybe that reunion is on the cards. Other than that, the only other thing that might be possible, but I haven't really heard much speculation about it, is would they consider bringing back Antonio Conte? 
I'm sure we'd be, uh, you know, another be another opportunity to return to the club where he has been a bandiera for them. But again, I think maybe his style's not suited to winning European honours. So, yeah, there aren't many clear-cut candidates. Vito, one club who has won a lot of European honours is AC Milan. Although the last of those is over a decade ago now, they they look like they're mounting a, a real challenge to get back into the Champions League for next season. And they continued that run on Friday evening, I think it was, by beating Empoli 3-0. There, there was no Suzo, but Samu Castellejo was his stand-in. He played on the right and he was pretty good. I was really impressed with his game. We've said it several times about Suso that he can be very inconsistent or he can look very one-dimensional. But uh, Castellejo, on, on the basis of this game, looked very confident on the pitch. He was on the right, but sometimes he'd move into central channels, he'd drop back, and it didn't look like he had discomfort on the ball. As long as he had the ball, he would try and do something. He was involved in all three goals, including the assist for Cassie for the second one, and then he scored the third himself. And uh, before that, in the se- in the first half, he had two shots, uh, but uh, Drogovsky, the Empoli keeper, saved them. So, yeah, all around, I think it was a very impressive performance. Do you think there's a chance that Milan might be better off not playing Suzo? Because there was a, a pretty frightening and damning start during the rounds before. I think it was the last round of fixtures. Um, someone on Twitter shared, I can't really, for the life of me remember who it was, apologies. But it, it's basically a trend every season that Suzo's fantastic until Christmas, and then after Christmas he does nothing. And it's already proving to be true again this season with his goals and assists. Are, are they better off just moving him on in the summer and letting Castilejo kind of play between now and the end of the season? Because he does look like he can offer something. Chalanoglu looks like he's finding a little bit of form again, and Maybe Suzo should be second fiddle there. I personally think so because you can't rely on a guy who just does well in patches. Gattuso, for instance, you know, uh, he can't guarantee his own job security until he's firmly in those Champions League spots. It's only one performance, but on the basis of what we saw against Empoli, uh, Castillejo adds an extra dimension to the play. He does have more comfort on the ball and probably more pace as well. So I think more to punish Suzo for his inconsistencies, I do reckon they have to bench him. And probably in the long term, if Milan do want to challenge for trophies in the next couple of years, um, I do not see Suzo being part of that picture. No, and he shouldn't be. It was um, Matthew Santangelo who tweeted that so I was determined to find the person who did it because it was a good tweet um it's a little bit outdated now but at the time in his last 10 Serie A matches he had scored once and not assisted despite having a, a pretty good start this season which is crazy for their their main creative spark and this is this is the player who Milan fans a certain group of Milan fans, I should say, not all of them, on Twitter. Milan Twitter is a terrible, terrible place. They idolise him as if he's Leo Messi. And you leave him at a team of the week and you get an earful every single week. But that's just how it is. Um, and Sebastian has pointed out that all the goals were from the right wing, whereas in the previous games it was all about the left wing. But uh, talking about goals, Fido, 
it's no surprise that on the score sheet for Milan was Christoph Piontek. He's a machine. Yeah, now he's got 18 goals in Serie A for the season. And uh, without bringing up too much VAR controversy, uh, I reckon he should have got a penalty earlier because he was obstructed by two defenders uh, in the early minutes of the game. So I was surprised that VAR didn't uh, assess that decision. That being said, uh, Milan persisted. They didn't cry too much about it afterwards. And uh, uh, Piontek was the one that opened the scoring. So... Yeah, at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's much really stopping his momentum at this stage. I absolutely love that whenever he scores and does his slide and the pom-pom-pom, the fans all shout it as he does it. It's terrifying to hear when you're there and the players have done it as well. It's, it's excellent. But anyway, we did have Vieri Capretta at this game for us. So for those of you listening to the audio download, sadly not listening to us on FNR Radio in Australia or watching the live YouTube stream, you you guys have to go over and download the podcast. We will go to Vieri now, and he will also talk to us about Fiorentina Inter, where he was this evening. I am now joined by Vieri Capretta, who was the star of this week's hashtag FIF at the Games. Vieri, you were at two games. The first of those was... Milan Empoli, where that boy Christoph Piontek did it again. And it just keeps being proven right that Milan are so much better without Gonzalo Higuain, which is baffling because he's clearly a talented, talented guy. Why are they so much better without him? Yeah, Milan are a lot better right now without Gonzalo Higuain and with, of course, Christoph Piontek in its place. Well, why are they so much better? I think they're better because when you've got a player, it doesn't matter how good he is, who doesn't want to be there, it's impossible to make things work out. And Higuain was the prime example. I don't rate Higuain for his personality, and AC Milan needed a leader, but it's you know, undoubted that Higuain can score goals. And he wasn't at all at Milan. He just not, didn't want to be there. Piontek does. Piontek's got a hunger for goals that is unreal right now. And Milan needed this kind of player a lot more. It's not just... That's just one of the reasons, of course, why they're so much better. The other, I think, it's Lucas Paqueta. They needed quality in midfield. I wasn't a big fan of Milan's midfield before January. As in having Kessi and Bakayoko... And they were struggling to make things fluid in the middle. Paqueta, obviously I had no clue what to expect from him. Apart from the fact, of course, when you have uh, someone like Leonardo buying a footballer from Brazil for that amount of money, you expect him to be good. And he is being very good. Very solid midfielder, technical to the kind of player AC Milan needed. So I think the fact AC Milan spent $70 million in January makes us think that you know, it was expected for them to do this well. That's a lot of money. Uh, that is the main game changer. It's Piontek, it's Paqueta, and then, of course, Noiguain, get rid of someone who doesn't want to be there anymore. Someone who absolutely does want to be there is Andrea Conti. He's, he got his first start after coming back from injury under his belt. And putting aside my Atalanta allegiances, it's good to see. How did, how did he get on? Conti's return from the start is, uh, is a beauty for everyone involved. For him, of course, after over 500 days without playing from the beginning. And for Italian football in general, AC Milan in the specific and the national team. He is 
absolutely great. This is his third assist, the, the one he gave uh, Castillejo in you know, just a few matches since he's returned uh, fit enough to play. And he's someone who was doing amazingly at Atalanta, for whom AC Milan spent 25 million last summer. And this is what we expect from, from someone like, uh, like Conti. The fans absolutely love him because he's been out so long and because he can bring so much to this AC Milan side. So we can only expect good things from, uh, from now on. Lastly, on this game, then, Samu Castellejo got a lot of praise online. Myself and Vito thought he was, he was quite good as well. But you were there. Very so I will bow to your superior knowledge. You weren't all that impressed with Castellejo's performance. Why is that? Well, Castellejo was praised a lot, and rightly so, because um, he did score, of course. And that always adds something to, to someone's game. And he did have... a. An overall decent game, but everyone at Milan did, especially in the second half. Now, I wasn't overly impressed. I thought he had a, you know, a good average game, nothing special. But mainly, looking at what Gattuso said, I think it was interesting. I saw how stats were brought up that Castillejo had a, a superb game, whereas his coach wasn't happy with it because he was meant to cut into the pitch a lot more in order to give space to Conti on the flank, and he wasn't doing that, especially in the first half at all. And Gattuso came into the press conference room after the game on Friday night saying, I'm fuming because we had a very bad first half. And then speaking about Casilleco, he said he just wasn't doing what he was told. That's really bad for a player to do that. Of course, you have to be you know, super talented, to afford to do that, to go against uh, your coach. So I think he's a player that fits in the Milan squad nicely because when he's um, needed, he does do his job fairly well. On Friday night, in the specific, he did score that goal. But I think overall, he should have done more what was uh, asked by Gattuso and he should have worked better with his teammates. But of course, he's got qualities and he did show them. And overall, Milan can be happy that when Suzo is in there, you've got someone like Castillejo to replace him. Vieri, you clearly didn't have enough fun at the San Siro the other night because you, you went along to the Stadio Artemio Frankie this evening, Sunday, and you saw a crazy 90, or rather 100 minutes of football where Fiorentina and Inter played out a 3-3 draw. And if it was anything like the 3-3 I saw there this season, you had an absolute whale of a time yeah Connor it was absolutely mental at the Frankie we had it all really six goals a late penalty controversial penalty to make it 3-3 Spalletti fuming after the game the fans not really knowing what was going on during those uh, video system referee decisions obviously when you're in the stands you don't quite know what the ref is looking at so of course all those boos coming from the stands it was crazy it was crazy and uh Fiorentina in the end had the final laugh and I do understand the frustration from the Inter fans because that was uh, never a penalty really. <laughs> no, um, no, it absolutely wasn't a penalty, was it? But there was unfortunately some VAR drama. We tend not to talk about it, but it's impossible to avoid this week. So can you explain exactly what happened there and why on earth the referee didn't overturn the third decision despite having done it already? Well, the third decision... 
as we said, was was never a penalty. It wasn't overturned simply because the referee uh, made the initial decision of giving the penalty for that um, handball of uh, Daniel D'Ambrosio when, in fact, the ball came off his, his chest. And that was pretty visible to everyone already live at the stadium, I think. A lot of uh, journalists in the press stand immediately said, you know, that's not a penalty, he's not going to give it. And then from the replay, of course, it wasn't overturned because I, I tend to agree with Spalletti on this one, probably because the referee felt under the, too much pressure. Already a couple of his decisions had been overturned by the video assistant referee, and he didn't have uh, the, the character, the personality to say, right, it doesn't matter if it's 101 minutes into this game, it doesn't matter if the stands uh, are mental with all the fans booing at me, I have to make the right call regardless. He didn't. He stuck with his initial decision, and that showed a lack of personality. And as Paletti said, if you don't have the personality to be at this level refereeing, then probably you shouldn't be here. We're looking at Inter then. Things had been going so well for them without Mario Icardi. They were winning. They were scoring. They kept scoring today. Lautaro Martinez played up front. He didn't get on the score sheet himself, but... This is the first time they've stumbled without their ex-captain and still current, for now, number nine. But do you think, can Lautaro become a regular goal scorer? Or is he just just better off playing as a second striker? Now, Inter stumbling without a card, it's true. They did draw 3-3, but that would have been the seventh win in seven games without a card. It's still a pretty decent number to have won six and seven especially considering this game was essentially won by Inter. And uh, Spalletti was quite happy with the performance from his players. I do agree with him that Inter had a good game. It's not easy to play at Fiorentina, of course, and Inter had essentially won it if it wasn't for an absolute stunner by Muriel and then that mistake uh, by the referee. Lautaro does a good job. He works very hard for the team, uh, both in giving defenders a tough time in marking him and also in getting rid of the ball because he does press very high. He can be a regular goal scorer, I think, as well. But I do believe he's better as a second striker. He probably would would do better with someone else next to him. But Inter don't have this kind of option right now. It has to be Lautaro on his own. And I think, you know, when you lose someone as good as Icardi, to have a backup striker like Lautaro Martinez puts you in a decent position to be in. Well, lastly then, speaking of regular goal scorers, um, for Fiorentina, Luis Muriel has arrived and he's, he's started life really well in Florence. And what is it that he's brought to Fiorentina other than just goals that was missing beforehand? Or is it just that he is someone who can put the ball in the back of the net? Luis Muriel brought the kind of magic Fiorentina were lacking. The goals, of course, and just the fact you kind of know whenever he's got the ball in his feet, something special can happen. And that kind of magic we only had in Florence with Chiesa, really, out of this current group of players. And that's because a lot of the most technically gifted players had been sold last summer. And now there's Luis Muriel, who is able to score absolutely wonder goals. And, of course, because you, you expect that from him, whenever he gets possession you can you can feel it in the air you feel the fans immediately expecting something magical to happen and I think that that's part of the beauty of football and that's what Luis Muriel has brought to Fiorentina in January beautiful thank you very much Fieri and safe home and I'm sure I'll speak to you again next week but 
for the rest of us, Vito, you and I will move on and discuss the game that I was at this evening, which is Parma nil Napoli 4. And it's hard to know what to say about this because Parma were really bad, but Napoli were also really good. Um, 4-0 probably flatters Parma a little bit. It could have been a lot worse, um, a lot better for Napoli's point of view. But the goals that they were missing in the last few games all just came together today. Sometimes you just need a bit of luck. And in this particular game, yeah, the goals did come. And the one that probably appealed to me the most was uh, Arik Milik's free kick, where he just struck it low, the ball jumped high, and the ball just sailed underneath, rolled underneath. So, yeah, that was a nice finish because you do see too many free kicks, not just in Serie A, but just in football around the world. People try to the ball too high and it just hits the wall straight away sometimes you just got to study the wall and if they're able to jump that high I think good on Milik for doing what he did and I reckon a lot more players need to capitalize on that it's a very difficult one to execute because there is no guarantee that the wall is going to jump especially when it is that close but when players pull it off it just looks so so good he was lining it up and I was sitting there thinking there's no way he can he can get this up and down. He's going to have to try and drill it through or drill it to the side and just hope that Sepe does one of his things and messes up. But oh, it was genius. It's really, really good. We've seen Messi do that a lot, obviously. I think Raquel May did one before as well. It's. I think even Mertens might have done one for Napoli in the last couple of seasons. But it's such an enjoyable technique when you see it um, executed so, so well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Adam Unas came off the bench in the 80th minute, scored with what I think was his first touch, or definitely the first time he was in possession, and... Yeah, he was he was quite good for them in the Europa League, and he's carried that form into Serie A. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, just like we've discussed in the past, he's been utilised a lot more under Ancelotti, so he seems to be doing well as either the impact sub or in games where he occasionally starts, he'll make an impact. And 
he can score some really nice goals, actually. So I was a bit surprised when Napoli bought him in the first place, but it looks like Ancelotti is utilising his skills a bit more and he adds a bit of an X factor too because they already have guys like Insigne and Mertens, but on the right you've got Kayon who's a great worker and all, but he doesn't have that flair, whereas Unas, he does provide a bit of unpredictability. Mm, he is that, isn't he? He is unpredictable. He's almost a little bit raw, but in a good way. You know, he's it's almost like a more refined version of Gervinho. You know, Gervinho is unpredictable <laughs> because he doesn't know what's happening. Unas has a little bit more control <laughs> and he's got that same sort of ability to strike fear into an opponent. He's quick. He's, his feet are quite impressive, actually, how quickly he can move them. And yeah, he's, he's quite good. But um, what else can we talk about in this game? This was, this was quite a big game for Napoli for me because Insigne wasn't there and I was curious as to who would step up and in truth everybody did Alam was excellent Fabian Ruiz though we've not given him quite as much praise as we perhaps should have this season because he was he's been so good all season since arriving from Betis and today he was he was excellent he controlled everything every time I looked at a different part of the pitch he was there it, it felt like I had just seen him in the defensive right corner and then I look up and he's attacking on the left wing. He, he was all over the place. And a player like that, he's just, he's so calm, so cool. He's what Borja Valero was and then a little bit more. As a, he's, he's a really good player to watch and he's perfect for this Napoli team. And Napoli just had their swagger back today. You, you saw there were two really, really good right backs playing today, but unfortunately for Parma, they were both playing for Napoli. So we had Malqui playing on the right and Husai playing on the left. And Malqui was so good. I had a friend who was at the game and I was speaking to them at halftime and they just said, that Napoli fullback is an excellent player. And Napoli's fullbacks have obviously, they were so important under Sari when it was Gulam on the left and Husai on the right. But Malqui, he's kind of just seamlessly slotted in there on the right veto and it doesn't look like he's going to be displaced anytime soon. I doubt it very much. Malcrey was a bit of a surprise acquisition for me, but that's admittedly because I had never seen much of him or heard much of him. Since he's joined that Partenopay, he's actually been fantastic. And I think in the attacking phase of the game, he's impressed me a lot more than Pesai. Usai was more or less a purchase by Sarri when he was there, and he was a solid uh, right back. Don't get me wrong, but uh, Malquay just looks faster, more composed on the ball, and uh, he's a better crosser, in my opinion, as well. There, can we speak about Parma for a bit? Because they've they've got to be concerned. They started the season really well, impressively well, and they kind of took everyone by surprise. But it's all gone to pot. They, they, ha- they lost two of their first nine home games in Serie A this season. Now they've lost each of their last four. They don't score goals. When they do score, it's always Inglese or Giovinho. And they look pretty short of ideas beyond that. Giovinho just runs down blind alleys. And if it doesn't work for him, he gets frustrated and he becomes more selfish. Inglese started really well today, but then his head dropped and that was it. He missed a good chance. And 
Biabiani is terrible. I really, it's sad to see because obviously he had that terrible heart condition and he was out for a while. He was quite an exciting player before it, but he's just not up to this level anymore. He was at fault for the third goal and the Palmer fans started to get on his back and I felt a bit sorry for him, but he's been poor all season. And then the depth is just non-existent as well. So you see the likes of Siligardi coming on and he tries, but he's just not very good. Vito, their their strong start to the season probably saved them so that they're not going to get relegated this year. But what does the future hold for them? What are we expecting them to do in Serie A? I suppose that we have this romantic and nostalgic image of it, of Parma and uh, we expect them to do a little bit better than just mid-table safety. But I think uh, if they're going to get anywhere near those glory days, I think it's going to be a slow and steady process. If we had to look specifically at the way Parma plays, they do rely a lot on Gervinho and Inglese to do something offensively. Uh, But another issue I have with them is the midfield. They do have a lot of destructive players and hardworking players. And in recent games, I noticed that it's, Yurai uh, Kutska, who's getting involved in the goals and providing assists. And he's really more or less a defensive midfielder. He only really played in a more offensive role when he was at Genoa and Giampiero Gasparini was coaching him. So when you have a coach like that, they can sort of teach you different things and you've got to play in a certain system and you learn extra things. But under Diversa, I think it's a different game. Uh, Kutska, you know, he's more or less just a workhorse or the more defensive-minded type. So to expect him to be a more creative type midfielder, I think uh, Parma are running out of ideas in that aspect. Mm, Speaking, actually, before we move on from this, it it was telling that uh, Alessandro Bastoni's absence just saw Parma's defence kind of completely collapse. Bruno Alves was his usual self, but he didn't have Bastoni beside him to do the things that he usually does. And it was pretty obvious that they were missing something at the back which is quite good for him because he has been on the books at Atalanta for the last few years and never really broke through but now he's doing well for himself and I'm happy but speaking of Gasparini and Atalanta Vito they they went to Torino where they've not won since 2007 they've only won three of the last 35 games and that became 36 games because there was no Papu there was no party there was no Martin Darun. And they were beaten 2-0. And they never really looked like troubling Torino in this game. And I know you, it will pain you to say it, but you've got to give some credit to Walter Mazzari for that. Yeah, he yeah he actually got his tactics right instead of whinging about the referees. Uh, Atalanta, as we know, they like to play at a rather high tempo. And the, the way Mazzari sets up his team, he certainly made it hard for Ladea to create spaces or find spaces. Usually they need Papu Gomez to provide something, provide that X factor. And he's the talisman as well. So his, his absence was really felt in this team and Josip Ilicic was very poor. This uh, played into their hands and I think having Jago Falke up front, again, makes a difference. That helped. The defence was pretty solid, you know, with Moretti and Itzo. They played well, and I was happy with the midfielders. Uh, not as destructive as they usually are, but Maite put in a good shift. Well, Aina is usually good at wing back, and I was happy with Sasa Lukic. He made 
at least one or two tackles that I spotted. And I thought his distribution was just simple and effective. So uh, although Torino's style was not pretty, it was effective. And even when they had the ball, it wasn't like they always just kicked the ball away or just gifted it back to Atalanta. Uh, sometimes I would see Lukic, he would just slow the play down and just make sure Torino held on to it as long as they killed time. The situation with Falke there is interesting because him and Mazzari obviously don't see eye to eye, but the sooner Mazzari buries that hatchet, the better, because he's the most talented player they have on their squad. And he can make the difference for them so often. Um, they do need him because, as you said beforehand, Andrea Bellotti is not having a good time. No, he's had a rather poor season by what's expected of him, to be honest, and he is the captain. He... It looked like he worked hard in this game. He was making the runs, but just uh, you know, just his uh, decision making and just that release of the ball, whether it be for a pass or a shot, just the accuracy wasn't there. So, I think because of the reputation he has got, and also because he's the captain, I think that saves him. But maybe at another club or in another situation, perhaps uh, Zaza might have been given more of a run. You can't help I just personally, I can't help but think that Belotti just needs to move. Maybe he's missed yeah, his window to get that move and carry his form into a bigger club. Or, but I, I just think he needs to get out of there. And I like Torino, I like Belotti, but it just looks like that kind of relationship has gone a bit stale at the moment. Yeah. They, they're very much in the Europa League hunt, though, as you pointed out. And someone else in that hunt, Vito, is... Sampdoria, they beat Cagliari 1-0. It wasn't easy. It was never going to be against uh, a Moran side, let's be honest. But you got there. Sam got the points in the end. Yeah, we did because they were defending in numbers and they were hitting pretty much on the break. Due to the injuries, they gave a kid called Doratioto, who's a 19-year-old, a chance, and he looked decent. But they were relying a lot on Nicolo Barella to take shots and... uh, you know, Barella's a good midfielder, but he's not really a number 10. So, um, yeah, he was pretty wasteful. As for us, we didn't look like our normal selves, but we tried to play our game. Saponara struggled throughout the game. He had his moments, but he was largely ineffective. But uh, putting on Gabbiadini made a world of difference. We looked more fluid. We were moving the ball quicker, and he won the penalty, which Quayarella converted. So, um, I'd like to see Gabbiadini play a lot more. And if I was it means- just about to ask this, Vito, because yeah. Gabbiadini, every time he's come on, he's made a big difference. It, sh- why isn't he starting for them? I think it, I think Marco Giampaolo's just too obsessed with his system, always very rigid about it. So I've rarely seen him start games not using the 4-3-1-2 formation. But it's come to the point that Saponara's not consistent enough Ramirez, too, has his moments, but he's not consistent either. And Gianluca Caprari, he's out injured, so I think he should uh, consider changing the formation and find a way to accommodate Gabbiadini because he has looked lively, and I still believe that we're better off with him in the starting lineup because not just for his form, but also Gregoire de Frel doesn't look like he's going to regain that excellent start that he had early in the campaign. Yeah, well, Defrel's so seasonal as well, isn't he? He's a bit like Suzo in that when he's good, he's good, yeah. but he's too often not, which I suppose, no offence, is why he's at Sampdoria and why he's not 
at one of the bigger clubs. And the same is true of Josip Bilicic at Atalanta. If, if he was as consistent as he should be, he'd be he'd be playing for Juventus, you know. But he's he's not. Anyway, where will we go? Ah, Frosinone gave Roma a scare. They left it very very late to win this, and it was Edin Dzeko who got the winner. But I want to talk about Nicola Zaniolo, Vito. This guy is obviously phenomenal. He he came off the bench. He started the game as a sub, but it's intriguing because surely he's got the ability already. And given his age, he's got the legs to just start every game and play 90 minutes every, every week. I believe so. And I think it's come to the point that he should be an undisputed starter. He's really added something to that Roma team. Uh, it was a very scrappy game in general, but uh, with him on the field, I believe that he would have added some extra fluidity to Roma's play and they would have been more confident going forward. So hopefully in the next league fixture, uh, Di Francesco starts him and uh, they can uh, register a more comprehensive results. Are you as relieved as I am that Kev Pogorzowski isn't here to talk about that Robin Olsen error? <laughs> oh, he would be having a field day because the goal that uh, Camilo Chano was uh, credited for, that was largely a Robin Olsen error. And you just wonder, how many times can Olsen stuff up? It's, it's really bad because they've gone from having arguably the best goalkeeper in the world in Alisson to having him as well. If they went from any competent goalkeeper to Olsen, it would look bad. But going from Alisson to him, it just looks so much more of a fall off than it shouldn't do they do they stick with him do they show trust in him or do they just need to get someone else in this summer i think they need to cut their losses and find another goalkeeper because olsen he might look good in a defensive team or a team that plays with a deep defensive line but for the way roma plays he is so unid he's not ideal really uh, it's not bad saves or bad attempts to save the ball. You know I mean, he's a very old-school goalkeeper, you know. He's just a good shot stopper. He's a tall bloke, and that's about all. Uh, Allison was so good because he is more or less a very modern goalkeeper. He's that sweeper keeper. He's very comfortable on the ball, and he makes incredible saves. So, like you were saying earlier, to go from Allison to Olsen is, you know, a big dive. And also, they just contrast so greatly because they're two entirely different goalkeepers based on the way they play. Mm. Well, the other games then, Kievo and Genoa drew 0-0. We won't talk about that. Sassuolo and Spal drew one each. Andrea Patania scored again, but we won't talk about that either. And then Lazio and Udinese was postponed because of the, the rugby. Ireland were in, in Rome, and that was played at the Olympico. So that will be played at another time. Speaking of something we discussed last week, Vito Propiacenza and Matera have been thrown out of Serie C in the latest excellent management of Italian football's lower leagues, and it's not good to see. No, not at all. Uh, it seems to be a familiar theme in uh, Serie C in the last few years. It seems you're guaranteed to see at least one or two clubs, maybe even three, go bankrupt, and it's a uh, Really sad story, you know, whether it be bad management or just boards, you know, they might have their own intentions and they try to, you know, take money from the coffers, things like that. So 
Yeah, I'd like to see more stability or clubs being rebuilt um, more properly or adequately. But, um, yeah, I can't see that happening anytime soon. And it's just a lot of these situations, they're just beyond farcical where they have to play youth teams and all that. So mm. it's bad as a spectacle, but even for the morale of the players. Yeah, it's horrendous. It really is. In slightly brighter news, Palermo do look like they're about to get new owners, which it looked like they were going to be. Well, they did go back to Zamparini, right, briefly, but it looks like he's not going to be involved there. No. No, there's a local family called the Muri family, the the being involved, and there was talk of uh, the new president, Rino Foschi, possibly getting crowdfunding, but uh, it looks like that's uh, not going to happen, and they should be able to pay their players at least until March. So we'll see what happens, and if finally we see some stability or there's just a lot more added drama to it. Okay, Vito, we've we've made it to the end, so we'll we'll call it a day here. Um, I'm sure you'll be back with us next week, as always. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. We will have Big Kev returning as well, so that'll be nice. He can tell us about his his time in Hamburg, and I'm sure he'll be drawing comparisons between how great the organization of German football is compared to the mess that is Italian football. But in yeah. the meanwhile, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of your Serie A coverage, Champions League coverage. We've got the Coppa Italia semi-finals this week. Vieri's going to be at Fiorentina Atalanta, I think. And I'm not sure about the other, but I'm sure we'll have someone there. And yeah, just do that. Watch our videos on YouTube, listen to our podcasts, our bonus podcasts, everything. And follow us on Instagram at Forza Italian Football, on Facebook at Forza Italian Football, and on Twitter at Serie A FFC. So until next week, all there is to say is chat for now. Ciao.
serves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.